Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. It's hard for me to comprehend a time when sitting in a coffee shop or getting a slice of pizza was scary. I grew up in America. Sure, post 9-11 America, but America nonetheless. Michal Belsberg, on the other hand, knows that fear. She grew up in Israel, where suicide bombings could devastate peaceful Jerusalem days in the days and times way before the Iron Dome. During the Second Intifada, people lost friends, family members, and core parts of who they were, all in a moment's notice. Michal and her family chose this world, making Aliyah when she was only a small child. They also chose to change it by founding One Family, an organization that helps survivors of terror regain purpose, community, and hope. This is my conversation with Michal Belsberg. Hello, we are here with Michal Belzberg, one of the founders of One Family, a tremendous organization here in Jerusalem. Michal, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Your family started a really kind of important organization amidst uh, very tragic times here in Israel. If you could tell me a little bit about your family, what they're like, and what you guys did in, I believe, 2000, right? 2001. 2001. So I made Aliyah with my family when I was two years old. And what was special about growing up here was that we were always having a lot of people over and always connecting people to the land, connecting people to their roots. I mean, I was always watching my dad kind of play that role of, you know, having a lot of people over for Shabbos, sitting around a really big, large table with guests from around the world who went through who knows what in their life. And then we'd go around and everyone would share where they come from. So we come from a background of very much worrying about other people, wanting to spread um, light and share thoughts and bring each other up in whatever possible way we can, which included like having them over for Shabbos, giving up our rooms so they could sleep there, spending the whole of Friday and sometimes also Thursday getting organized for Shabbos. For other know, people. For other people, getting yelled at with all meat, the pressure. Meat, dairy plates. No, I said meat plates, meat <laughs> plates. I said meat. Oh, I thought you said dairy. And a fish fork. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot a lot going on in the Bellsburg A lot home. of plates. And wine cups and everything. And a lot of Bourbon cups <laughs> and, and tequila shots. Yeah, and oh, then wow. the and Duvay Torah and a, a lot happening. And I think that uh, we also had like lone soldiers live at our home for months or years. Yeah, of course. Why not? Yeah, I mean, how many, you're one of what? One, one of seven. Of, yeah, one of seven. What's three more? What's you three know? more? It's so a the, you, more kind of, you kind of grew up in the Israeli-American cheaper by the dozen house. Yeah. What is One Family? What is One Family? One Family is an organization that started very close to my bat mitzvah. We were supposed to um, celebrate my bat mitzvah in the summer of 2001. I was born in August, so we were going to do it at the beginning of September, just because August is vacation. So during vacation, we went to visit our grandparents in 
New York and in Canada. While we were there, following many attacks that have happened in Israel, but all on a smaller scale, this one was more of a um, larger attack that happened in the middle of August, in the middle of a summer vacation. All parents and kids are like hanging out in town, going to buy books and just stopping for pizza at a pizza shop, which is something that everyone should feel comfortable to do anywhere in the world. And unfortunately, 15 of those people that went out for pizza one summer afternoon didn't come home. This was one of the biggest attacks that have happened in Israel. It's a very memorable attack. A lot of people my age and older, younger, remember this attack. This bombing you're speaking about is like the one that's most closely associated with kind of the Intifada. It's kind of the poster child of just how bad it, things can get. The, the attacker itself himself was a suicide bomber. He had explosives in a guitar case, and he came up to the people standing behind the bar and said, the Arab workers who worked there and said, this place won't be around in 15 seconds, so you got to run away. And that's what happened. The people that were standing near the cashier, it's like it's like an aroma style or a Starbucks style that you come to the cashier, you order, and then you go back. So the people that were ordering are not no longer with us, and the people who are at the back are just purely trauma or family members of theirs that went to order for them or someone who just came. These are the stories I'm hearing afterwards. There were about 155 people, like, wounded, hospitalized, like, yeah. everyone in the area It's in heard, a very busy part of Jerusalem. Right where the right where the train is today. Now it's something yeah. else. So we're in America, and we hear about this attack. And there's a family of 10, the Shevesquare family. Two of the parents were killed, and three children were killed, and two kids were injured. So five people were killed, and now they're left two siblings and three more siblings that weren't even there. And there are two girls, one's eight, one's ten, who are left with no one, no parents. Three siblings are gone. They have these three older brothers that are, like, less connected to the family. And and my parents and, I mean, also me, of course, were thinking, like, what are these children going to do now? Like, who's going to take care of them? Who's looking after them? In a moment, they became orphans. Orphans, injured in the hospital. Traumatized probably forever. yeah. It's just an unthinkable thing. Like, the idea that, like, this country's reality used to be met with suicide bombings, right? Right, and that's obviously where I still go. Right, that's where you go. You lived through it. Right. Me, I'm kind of like, you know, I just, I, I started coming in 2009. I mean, it was, the main thing then was for friends in the South, you know, oh, they said there might be this thing called the Iron Dome. But up until then, their whole childhood was more so the trauma wasn't suicide bombings. I'm bomb sure shelters. It, it was bomb shelters. It was the idea that a rocket used to fly and not be shot down by this heavenly thing is incredible. I think it's so hard for international audiences and Americans to, including myself. To relate to. To relate to. You walk into a pizza shop and. You never think about it. An animal wants to blow themselves up just simply because they are Jews. I know. It's crazy. So you hear of this awful bombing and this story is not going away about this bombing. It's just continuing. It's continuing. There's more stories. And they said Shema Yisrael and how everyone's like, all these terrible, like, and I'm 12 years old. You know, for my parents, it was like huge and everything. But for me, it's like, it's traumatic to hear all these stories and like think about what people are going through afterwards and what they have to deal with and everything. Another story is that one of the girls who was killed, also her family, one her sister was standing right next to her. So I met her sister and her sister is like full of blisters and full of burns. And it's scary what people had to go through. So, so at the time, we didn't really understand what it meant to be in a suicide bombing or what people go through afterwards or how they have to deal with it or what they get from the government, what they don't get from the government, what help they need, what help they don't need. And I think that my um, my parents didn't feel it was right to celebrate a big party at the midst of an intifada. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Yeah, I was going to be at the Mount Zion Hotel, actually. And um, 
I think my father brought up the idea of let's um let's not do this party and let's let's start an organization that's going to help these people. And my first reaction was like, what? You're a kid also, right? Like you're 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, 12. I was waiting eagerly for my bat mitzvah because my friends are all older than me. Like in the year, I'm an August baby, so everyone's born before. So everyone had their parties. And okay, it's my turn. You know, I want to be the center of attention. You don't really, I'm, I'm sure you were aware of what happened, but like from a 12-year-old's perspective, right? Like there was a bombing, like, you know, kids live in their own little world and like you're I thinking- I want my party. <laughs> yeah, you want your party and you're like, how come this thing that, that it was obviously bad is impacting me and my life? Do you remember the moment where you realized how amazing this kind of thinking was? So, yeah, the moment where I was like, okay, let's do this. So basically, when I understood that this is an idea that's very special and a lot of people will get something out of it, I'm giving up on one night of fun, which I was really very much looking forward to. It will be worth it in the long run. I mean, I'm sitting here because of that. So I knew that it's going to be worth it for me, for them, for everybody. Party lasts five hours. Exactly, exactly. And the fact that my parents had the position and could gather the money together. I mean, I was 12. So again, I didn't really do much to make this happen. But it was really them who called the Jerusalem Post and called it this and started getting people involved. And the thought behind it was also like, we have a lot of friends, we have a lot of family from abroad, from Israel, from everywhere. And they want to come to this party. They they want to celebrate with us. And we'll give them the opportunity to help also because everybody wants to help. So this whole concept of a traditional bat mitzvah was thrown on its head by the current environment in Israel, but also kind of how you and your family chose to react to it. Exactly. Knowing that we're not the only ones who want to help, we just now have an opportunity that is right to step up and do something about it. Your father is a great guy. I really admire him. He's a doer. Right. Your family of doers. You know, you leave something on the kitchen table for more than (laughs) seven seconds and it's gone, cleaned, and like, you know, ready for Shabbos, whatever. What did one family do on your bat mitzvah day, weekend, etc.? And like, what are you guys doing today and how has it grown? Okay. So... After the decision of canceling this party, basically the money that was going to go into traveling and hotels and um, like whatever, the party itself with the whole family, instead of them coming and spending all that money, we basically said to them, don't come. You don't want to come anyway. It's scary. Everyone was happy not to come. So we said, like, we want to do this project. Come on board with us. And everyone was very happy to come on board. And it was really everyone feels like helpless when there's terror attacks and you want to help and you want to be there for the people who are suffering but you don't know what to do. So that was another reason that we wanted to kind of be the people on the ground who know exactly what's going on with the families and who can say, you guys give us the money because we know you want to help anyway. We'll make sure that it's going to the right causes and we'll make sure that it's going to build these people up again and like help them deal with whatever they're going through. So that was a main reason to call it one family because we're all one family, us in America, in Israel, around the world, and the people who are actually going through what they're going through. I remember the thought process behind it was, I mean, for my parents more than for me, was if this was one of our family members, we'd do anything to help them. Like if in there could have been a case where any one of my friends or my family members could have been in that terrorist attack. And what would I have done that minute after finding out that someone in my family or my friend was injured or killed or anything? I would do anything I can to help them. And that's basically what we wanted to do. And we figured that everyone wants to do that and everyone wants to be there for them. So we called it one family because it doesn't matter who it is that was injured or attacked or in any way, we will be there for them as if we were their family. Um, and that's really, really what one family does is that we divided the country into like into four and there were there were people who were in charge of every single part of the country and they had to go to their houses, go to the hospital and just support these people through the process of what they're going through and bring them the in- immediate 
help that they needed. When it comes to someone who was killed, we went to the family's house during the Shiva, but then we made sure to tell them that we're there for them also after everyone, you know, kind of the high of when something happens, it's like everyone's involved and everyone's there, but suddenly like after the Shiva and a month or two later, everyone kind of disappears and family doesn't disappear. So we wanted to be that family who's there for these families also after months, you know, we want to be there all the time. And in someone, someone who's injured, they're at the hospital, you know, they, they need certain things, a car, like a rented car to go back and forth, different things that they might need immediately. The government obviously does give support and different types of things, but we were, we were looking to be the extra hand. Now, the second reason that we felt the need to start one family is because there is a sense of togetherness when you, when you come together with someone who went through what you went through. So when we called it one family, we also wanted the victims of terror themselves to feel that they are one family to each other. We are all one family. You go through the, the attack and the pain and everything. And by meeting someone who went through the same kind of tragedy, you feel that you're not alone. So that was another reason why we called it one family, because we wanted to create a sense of, you know, whoever you are, we understand each other. We can be there for each other and we can pick each other up during the pain and the tragedy that you go through. We see it very vividly that it's like something that really works because let's say a woman who became a widow at 22 with a child has another widow who became a widow at 23 who has two children come to her house and you know this newly new widow saying to a woman from one family saying how am I going to get up on my feet after this and she says you see this girl she's back on her feet and she you know she lost her husband you can do it and we'll do it together and we're here for it's each other. It's a lot though for a 12-year-old to process. It's very much and I don't think I did understand what was going on. What I did understand is that people are going through a lot of pain and um, my parents are awesome. I mean, now I understand it more than before. Do you remember when you would visit these families? So I went to visit these two girls who were left without parents. I gave um, one of them a necklace. One of them was m- worse like had very severe injuries. And the other one was, she was out of the hospital after two days. So the eight-year-old was very injured. I remember seeing her on TV. I remember just feeling so scared and sorry and pained for her. And we got her a necklace and we came and we said to her, we're here for you for whatever you need. And it turns out that really like when, when a family gets destroyed, everyone tries to help pick up the pieces. But when everyone's trying to help out, it suddenly, it sometimes can not be helpful. And then in a year from now, they forget. They forget, but then they also like, these eight-year-old and 10-year-old were taking to Holland because one of the aunts thought that it's better to take them to Holland. And one family got involved. My parents got involved and somehow they were able to bring these girls back to Israel. And it's like when the family... Because they, they didn't want to be in Holland? The older brothers didn't think it was good and it was good for them. But again, there's no parents to say, this is my children, this is what's happening. So you need like an outside source. So we were kind of that outside... Like, Advocate. Yeah, for whatever the situation was, which is super important for a family who's going through such destruction. Yeah, and I think the reaction is very human of like, oh, something really bad and tragic happened to these kids in Israel. Let's take them out of it. Let's, but there's, that's so contrary to the Jewish and Israeli mentality, which is because these awful things happen, is exactly why we should be here and build right. a life here. In one point, right, you believe the rationality of when something bad happens as humans, we try not to engage with it. But what you guys do is you take a really bad situation, which... Even though, thank God, suicide bombings have stopped in this country and hopefully will never happen again. Hopefully. Um, there's still tragedy. There's still yeah. hurt. There's still loss. And there's still after effects from early or beginning of the 21st century when this stuff started happening. And 
these wounds... They don't close. Yeah. Life can go on, but the wounds remain. For the people who you're still working for and caring for from these suicide bombings, like what are the needs that you're providing to them today? So that's very interesting um, because we, we're trying to deal with that question a lot. We're dealing a lot with the question of till when do we have to provide for them and when does this end? And like when we started this organization, we had no idea what to expect. We didn't know what people needed. We didn't know like what it meant, what we would have to do. And we learned that with the years what we can help out with. So we started like a soccer team because a lot of the men who play there are all post-trauma and they, ha- they have like really quick triggers. Like they, they get triggered very fast so that they can't play with regular people. So they play with each other and then they can play like when they understand each other, when they're comfortable with each other. So they do that. We created like a, um, a father's band choir that they uh, all the fathers who lost children kind of, you know, either stop playing or stop living or the light in their eyes are not there anymore. So this way they come together. One of the main women who work in the office, her name is um, Dina. And she lost two children, actually, one to terror and one to cancer. And she saw that her husband was really not, you know, playing piano anymore and wasn't like wasn't being himself. And she she basically started this choir for her husband and for a lot of other men to kind of get them out of the house, get them singing again and performing. So different ways of how we can really also help people physically, like financially, but also emotionally because the emotional part is the main issue of after losing someone and after going through an attack. So that's basically today what we're focusing on the most. We started a camp for kids, which is very like focused on the emotional side of it. Not just come and have fun, but it's come and share. Come and bring yourself. Come and like be who you are. And it's okay to be who you are because in school, you're not accepted for, you're the one with the story. But at One Family, you're not the one with the story. You're like everyone else. And it's special to not be different because in your own circles at home, you're different. So that's the main thing we do. We um, we make sure to send them packages to their house every so often. Actually, this year was really interesting. I did Shvid Israel. Shvid Israel is the Israel Trail. It's a two and a half month trail. Oh. So I did um. I, two and a half months. Two and a half months it takes. Yeah, because it's with you stop on Shabbos and then there's Purim in the middle and Pesach and everything. So it takes you. It, it's supposed to take you two and a half months. So I counted the days. Every day had an intention, and on day fourteen of the trail. Um, which is the number is Yad in Hebrew. The intention was like zikaron, like memory, remember. And the first thing that came to mind was um, one of the three kidnapped boys, which his his name is Sha'er. His name was Gilad. I don't know. Gilad is like a memory. So someone said that, and then that was the first thing that came to mind. And on that one day, I saw a victim of terror that I know who's her sister, and she told me she was there with um, her boyfriend that she met at one family, and it was just so interesting because it was like Yad is your hand, and what your hand can do. It's like you don't know what an effect your 12-year-old actions have on people's lives. She came up to me and she said, Michal, I'm like, yeah, like, I recognized her, but I wasn't sure it was her. She said, um, she, said she is, and she said she's, she, just, she got engaged a few days after that. She said, like, we met at one family. It's amazing. You know, like, you don't even know what you did. Like, you have a hand in this. She said, you have a hand in this. And that's exactly what the meaning of the day was, hand, yad. And then the craziest part was that at night, we were sit, we sit around a bonfire and there were three people who joined us. We, we made food, so they ate with us, whatever. And then it was the first time that I actually shared the story of one family because I don't like sharing. Like, I don't, I like being me. I don't like being me. Yeah, you don't want to be the, you don't want to be the 12-year-old that you once were. Which I were. was for a long time. Yeah, and, and you're very proud of it, of course. Right. And it's a big part of your identity, but it's kind of like... Um, you know, I have friends who are in media and they're journalists. They don't, they don't want to go to dinner and talk about politics or the news. They want to talk about wine, movies, friends, funny stuff. You the same. And also it's a very dense thing to carry with you. But 
still very important thing. Right. But finding my identity through this was not an easy journey. Like I had to do a lot of work to re-identify myself without one family because from age 12, I am one family. So it was a journey. But um, finally, on day 14, when I brought up the story, craziest thing happened. There was someone sitting in the circle who goes, I told him the story. He's like, which organization are you talking about? I'm like, one family. He's like, oh, you guys send me packages every year. I'm like, what? I'm like, do you want to share like what your story is? And he said, I was injured 14 years ago, and I still get the packages from you. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. So what's next for you and what's next for the organization? So I think my message now to people is like, worry about your needs. I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying don't help other people, but I'm saying worry about your needs for the sake of other people. Because when right. you're happy, everyone around you is going to be happy. Yeah. So that's like a big, a big thing that I've tried to develop. And for the organization, I think that it's like, it's the togetherness that we're just trying to give the people for, to have each other. To build community to build amongst community. these yeah, people. Yeah. And, and have people care for you. Know that, know that you're not alone. Know that the whole world cares for you. Know that. Does it though? Does the whole world. The Jewish world? The whole Jewish world, God, yes. I think cares. Yes. But like, is it ever difficult to know that like these people's tragedy is the international media's football for their own agenda? So that's a really good question. I don't know if I know how to answer it, but what I will say is that um, people, like you remember you said before that they don't want to be forgotten. There's so many stories. You ask Racheli Frankel, she is a story. She talks about the fact that there's people that you don't know their story. And I think that we're there to remind people that they're not forgotten. I do feel that, that the people around the world would want to give people that message, but don't have the means to or don't have the way to do that. And also after so many years, I think we touched on this before, but after so many years, their hole is still there and the pain is still there. And that's what we're noticing. It doesn't matter if you lost a child 20 years ago, you're still in pain. And so you guys, your work is never complete. Never, yeah. Never dull, but always needed. Thank you so much for joining us. I have one final question. So we're asking everyone, what's like one verse from like Talmud, Torah, song that really synthesizes your outlook on life and kind of like your work that keeps you going? I think the Pasuk Lev Tahor Berali Elokim Veruach Nachon Chadesh Bekirbi. So it's like asking Hashem for a, a new heart, like a pure heart and a new spirit, like Nachon Chadesh, like renew it within us. When things like this happen, your heart is injured and it's pain that is so hard to deal with and very important to talk through it and to find a way to strengthen yourself as a result of it. But I think that that's a really one of the reasons that one family is there. And it's really a thing that's not easy. Like you need to ask for the strength to be able to understand that there's something beyond you. You know, there is a greater reason. We do live in Israel. And in a way, you know, it's they say it's easier to lose a family member to a terrorist attack than to lose a family member in a car crash. But then again, we all need healing. We all need healing and life isn't easy. And um, I think that's what keeps us going. Like just asking for a pure heart, for like a like new spirit, you know? And one family is very, very much about the spirit, keeping the spirit up. Thank you so much for renewing our hope. And thank you for doing so every single day through the work of one family. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And um, thank you so much for canceling your bat mitzvah <laughs> and creating so much goodness from this one little gesture that turned into literally a movement. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
Michal tells me, after the interview, that in a month's time or so, she's getting married. I wish her mazel tov and tell her how much I enjoyed meeting her, talking with her, and learning about her family's legacy. Her legacy. The legacy of her bat mitzvah and the story that sits at the very top. I dream of a day when her organization will no longer be necessary, when the pain and deaths and aftershocks will dissipate from Israeli society, and there'll be no more terror. But I'm not naive. Neither is Michal. As long as there's a Jewish state, there will be this pain and grief and anxiety, wondering when this ugliness will rear its ugly head again. And when it does, and it will, Michal, her family, and one family will be there. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi. And our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zayn. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher, and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon.